This episode is brought to you by HealthMate Saunas. After much research and study into finding ways to increase my energy, all answers pointed towards incorporating saunas into my recovery. Infrared saunas differ from traditional saunas because they warm you from the inside out. Saunas provide deep relaxation and boost that energy through increased blood flow and also cleanse the system, release toxins and provide a deep detox. For me, I use my sauna at the end of a tough workout or after a busy working day. And of course, having the sauna conveniently in my house removes all obstacles of making it part of my weekly routine. I simply plug in my health mate to the usual household plug and I'm ready to go. But why is a health mate better than any other infrared sauna? Healthmate are the global market leader in infrared saunas and have been for the last 40 years. They're the only company to offer a patented infrared technology which guarantees that infrared penetrates deep beneath the skin, critical to getting our health benefits. They only use green and sustainable materials on their saunas and are the only company to offer an unconditional lifetime warranty. Personally, I have a two-person cabin, but there are a variety of models, shapes and sizes that can work for you, all available at Health hyphenmate.co.uk Go to their website to get yours. This is Take Flight with Mark Whittle. Welcome to Take Flight. I'm Mark Whittle, former city worker turned performance coach. And this is your place for inspiration and education on ways to optimize your performance and find your purpose. The most powerful force in the world is to be consistent with your identity. If the shoes don't fit, take them off. You can lie to everyone else, but you can't lie to yourself. You need to trade your expectations for appreciation. You know, we only live once. When all is said and done, the only thing you have left is your memories. Welcome back, guys. This week is an incredibly special episode. I feel like they all are special episodes, actually. But this week, particularly because when I was a teenager, I went to Hawaii with my family, which I was very lucky to do. And I had the most incredible experience. And my mind was opened to philosophy, spirituality, and a new way of living. And this week, my guest spends half of her time living in California and half of her time living in Hawaii. So it was amazing to hear her perspective of that part of the world and learn more about all of the activities she undertakes, which are so outstanding. The guest this week is Gabby Reese. Gabby is a former professional beach volleyball player, the pinup girl of the volleyball world during her time in the US. She held multiple records in the sport, many of which still stand today. During this time, Gabby also became Nike's first ever spokeswoman, which at the time was a huge breakthrough. Gabby is a model, appearing on many magazine covers over the years. She's also the best-selling author of her book, My Foot is Too Big for the Glass Slipper. She's a mother and the wife to the big wave surf legend, Laird Hamilton. And today, Gabby is the co-founder and co-innovator of Laird Superfood a business built on the idea that plant-based food can help you from sunrise to sunset, whether coffee, protein powder, performance mushrooms or hydration tablets, plus many more. Gabby spends most of her time innovating and promoting Laird Superfood, which actually went public last year as well. She's also the co-founder and trainer of XPT, Extreme Performance Training, which combines their unique water workouts in a swimming pool with their performance breathing techniques, recovery methods and high intensity endurance training for all fitness levels. XPT is something that I have long observed and long wanted to go and experience myself in real life. So hopefully one day I get to go and do that. She's also the host of the Gabby Reese podcast, 
And to say that I was incredibly excited for this chat is an understatement. She's an absolute force, spends most of her time, as mentioned before, living in California and the rest of her time in Hawaii, two places which hold a special place in my heart. Please stay tuned until the end where I ask Gabby a fairly big question. She breaks down her biggest single learnings from every major role she plays in her life. It's incredibly profound. And as always, if you enjoy this episode or take anything away from it, please share with your friends or on your social media channel of choice so you can help somebody else. Please enjoy this chat with the amazing Gabby Reese. Gabby, welcome to the Take Flight podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for doing it. I've been really looking forward to speaking with you. The first time I learned about you was many years ago, actually, when you were on the Tim Ferriss show with Laird and Brian McKenzie. Oh, yeah. And that was at a point where I was getting so much from his podcast specifically. I loved that episode with you three. I thought that was outstanding. And he'd been over to see you guys in Hawaii. It was interesting because there was no mm. fuss about it. Tim did a good job. Yeah. And it's like things have changed so much now. Like the kind of expectations are studio and lighting and it just changes the conversation a bit, doesn't it? You know what it is, is you can't be afraid to not sound smart. Sometimes it doesn't come out good or it's chunky or I sometimes think when people or situations become more successful and larger, the urge is to sort of slickify it or Mm. make sure it sounds perfect. And I actually feel that sometimes the messiness um, for certain people is actually the feeling that is like why it touches them inside. Then you feel the human kind of Mm. a knowingness so it's mm. you know it's like calibrating how do you become more professional more dialed in without losing the um a little bit of the of the imperfections mm. yeah but that is so true for everything in life at the minute isn't it it's like getting away from the soundbite or the highlight reel yeah and being real and honest and truthful and vulnerable Well, it's hard to do because everybody chimes in and has an opinion. And I think when you're sitting there and you're saying, hey, I'm really being honest with how I'm feeling. And then everyone piles on and tells you how bad your opinion (laughs) or your feeling is. It makes Mm. it more scary because in that moment, you were being genuine. But I, I think if we can, you know, just use our own reference. You know, I, I feel like when we know what our intentions are and then you just let mm. it fly. What is what is your intention at the moment? My intention, you know, it's interesting. I interviewed Jim Quick. He's a guy who teaches people to read and such. Mm. And um, he's, a, he's a, you know, a very smart guy with an interesting story. But he said to me, everybody has a question when they're walking around, directed at what whatever's happening. It's almost like we have a, a certain kind of filter that we filter the world in. And he, go, and he was like, and I mm. thought, oh, that's interesting. And he goes, do you know what your question is? And I was like, absolutely, I know what my question is. Well, my question has always been, what's the point? And I have a question right behind it, and it's, what's the right way to respond? I think because of when I was really young, I didn't have a ton, ton, ton of parenting. And for whatever reason, I was always sort of interested in trying to pay attention to doing the right thing. And also, you learn, saves you probably a lot of hassle and time mm-hmm. later. But what's the point? And so I, I think my my intention is just to have conversations because I do have certain access about how can we make it easier for each other? Like, can we exchange information? doesn't mean we're going to do it the same way. doesn't mean it's that kind of thing. So when I do my work, it's like stuff I have to really be interested in myself, but there also has to feel like at least it moves towards something that would support somebody. So whether it's 
in pure fun or entertainment mm. or whether it's in real information. And it's, it's never hopefully presented in a way that it's like, you can be perfect and powerful and, you know, da, 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 because there is room for that and people love that, but that's just not me. Mm. It has to have a point or like a meaning, basically. Well, yeah, and I'm always unsure. Mm. Like within being sure and moving forward and trying to accomplish and achieve, I always am in touch with that. I, I feel unsure. And there are people who present differently, who are very robust and they the 10 ways. And when I'm down, I do this. And it's like, I appreciate that. And there's actually other people that respond better to that. Right. But that isn't what I'm contributing. I'm contributing, you know, like I want to go for it anyway. Mm. And I'm completely unsure. I love that. What do you like? Let the answer appear or just being open to what's happening. Yeah. I think you're open to what's happening and you, you lead with your questions, you lead with your eyes open and with curiosity. And, and it isn't about having confidence to try to achieve or accomplish. It's just having enough confidence to be in pursuit and all that other stuff works itself out, you know, like success and things will come. If you just are willing to say, I really want to move in that direction. Like you better have a strategy. You can't just be like, Oh, I'm, I want to own my own business. Well, that means nothing. Or people say, I want to get in shape. It's like, yeah, great. What's your strategy? So I think coupled with that is a, you know, is a high degree of sort of like re- realistic accountability. Um, and, certainly, you know, that's what I learned from being in sports, which is you can say whatever you want, but once you get on that court, all the truth comes up. So if your preparation was real, if you worked hard enough, if you were lucky enough, if your team was whatever, cool. But if you go like, I want to be really good and you don't do the practice when you get on the court, you're going to get your ass. Mm. So it's like, you know, with that, like, uh, oh, I'm unsure is, okay, what's a plan? We have to mm. have a plan here. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to talk about pursuit and, and strategy some more of you a little bit later. Before we do, I just, I want to talk about Hawaii quickly. Okay. Um, <laughs> more specifically, Kauai. So I was very fortunate to be taken there twice, actually, by my parents. Are. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, but and I still go there in my mind probably every day when I meditate and Hanalei Bay is just that kind of sanctuary for me and I just imagine it and I see the waves and that's like I'd just be interested to hear like your thoughts and feelings about the energy and everything that you get from Hawaii it's interesting so all the islands are very different I lived on Maui with Laird for maybe 13 or 14 years Um, I have been on Kauai with him for about a year and a half and then um, we have now been back there for about 13 years and that's where he grew up up Mm. towards the end of the road it's a place called Wainiha Valley the whole island is very powerful, but it's interesting. So Maui's really windy and things kind of whip through and Oahu, the gathering island where there's Waikiki and Honolulu and all the famous surf spots um, that has a kind of a city element to it. And then uh, the big island is the big island. There's, you know, way less people space. It's not old, it's a lot of rock. So Kauai is the oldest island. So it's very green. It's already eroding back down, right? It hasn't, it's gone to full expansion and now it's eroding down. And when I first lived there in the mid nineties and I grew up on an Island, I grew up in the Caribbean. So it wasn't like I was not, I was unfamiliar with Island living. I had a really hard time because it's a very heavy place. And the, when you talk about the energy, there's a stillness there that you cannot escape yourself. Hmm. And that was hard on myself. That was also very hard on my relationship with my husband. And I wasn't ready to live there. And we ended up going back to Maui where maybe there's more distraction. And, and, you know, Kauai is like, here I am. And there I am. And, oh, here I am. 
And so um, there's something really truthful about that place and powerful um, that I, I really appreciate. And the nature is overwhelming. I mean, you go there and it's giant waves and, you know, the Pali coast, there's mountains coming through, you know, 3,500 feet straight out of the ocean. There's deep valleys that are, that you can feel, you know, people used to live in the valleys. There's a sacredness to the place. Um, I, I, I say often that God has offices all around the world and they, he definitely keeps one in Hanalei Bay. Mm. I really appreciate being able to live there this time around, the second time around those last 13 or 14 years has been really a, a wonderful experience for me. But, you know, I always say I'm a welcome visitor there. I mean, I'm a welcome visitor on the planet, but certainly when I'm in Hawaii and Kauai, even though I have a community there and what have you. I'm a visitor and I conduct myself as such. And it's an extraordinary mm. place. What's your favorite thing about it? I just think how dramatic it is. And it also, it's sort of, it's not going to accommodate you. There's no accommodating in Kauai. So you can say like, well, I, I'm here at this place and I paid all this money to stay here and it still will rain on you for 10 days straight. You know, it's like, it's not easy there. You know, like certain places you go and it's like, oh, the fancy restaurant and then and all these things. Kauai, you want to, you, you sort of have to want to be there and you, and you also have to adapt to her where it's like, you're here to witness the nature and be a part of it. You know, whether it's going the sea or going the mountain, but she, it's not going to bend and flex around you. And I think that, again, going back to honesty, there's something just so honest about that. So, and obviously witnessing how, how beautiful it is where I live. I look at a Valley. I look at Hanalei river. I look at the mountain range and I look at Hanalei Bay. So when I go there, it's like, I joke, like in my house, I don't have really art because everything's oriented to the outside because it's like, let's get as close to that as we can. It's extraordinary, but it, it's not for everybody. No, I mean, thanks for that, Gabby. It's like, it's really reminding me of, of the times. You talk about the rain. There was a moment in the, um, at the hotel that we stayed in, which wasn't far from Hanalei Bay, and someone came to teach a surf lesson, and it was pouring down with rain. And like a surf lesson in a swimming pool, was like, what can you really do? But they were just helping people get on the board and basically selling lessons for down at the beach. Yeah. Not many people turned up, or I was a few people dotting about, and you know, some people got involved, but it was pouring with rain. And me and my brother, because we were English, we didn't really care. We were just out there playing anyway. And at the end, we we helped the guy put the surfboards in the back of his van. Yep. And he was just like, but basically it, it showed me that there was a code and I really liked the code. And because we did that, he was like, listen, you know, come to the beach and I'll give you a free lesson. And I had no idea who this guy was, but it turned out to be Titus Kinemaka, the, yeah. the, the big wave surfer, just like an amazing human being and we spent two days on on the water with him and it was just like it was things that will live with me forever just from like a simple act of just helping him put surfboards in his van well first of all that's a very fortunate experience for you to you know come across titus in a, on a good day you know and humility is coveted in hawaii i think in general the polynesian culture is fascinating this way where they are warriors for real it isn't like hey, i'm gonna punch you out it's like they will. It's just the way it is. But behind mm -hmm. that is, it's all about humility. And so for if you're willing to be of service to, to someone else, you know, the notion of the aloha spirit, which is to give you whatever I have, it is alive and well. But I think the only way to receive it is to be humble enough to receive that. And that's the thing, right, is none of us are above anything. 
And, and so Hawaii is a, is a great reminder of that. The Polynesian culture is a really beautiful example of that. You know, I, I find in general, the, the Polynesians don't take themselves so seriously, but they have pride and there's difference. Like they're not taking themselves serious, but they do have pride. And there's a lot of love and power. Like it's an interesting mix of like that power that the culture has and then just sort of the real fun and playfulness that they they have a lot of times. And I, I find like American culture is, is a little more entitled, you know, we're a little more bratty and younger and kind of like we're here and like, you should speak English and you know, wherever we go kind of thing. And I understand cause it's connected to a lot of cool qualities. Like what's over there. And we try something new and you know, my, my dad's a shopkeeper and I think I can be a president. Like there's great things in that, mm-hmm. in that spirit. But there's definitely something to be learned for. Hey, I'm here. I'm a visitor. Thank you so much. Can I be of service? And I think when you take that anywhere in the world, it works out. Mm, yeah, I love that. It was really nice actually listening to, because uh, you went on the Joe Rogan show and you talked at length about Hawaii and the different islands and like some of the ones I never heard of before, which you're literally not allowed on, um, which, yeah. There are Hawaiians there and, you know, you just can't arrive there. Hmm. Yeah, but you know what? When, you know when we talk about energies, like you get it from a place, but you get it from a person as well. Like I, you know, I certainly feel an energy from when you, where you're speaking, and I just as you were speaking, then I was thinking, you know, you've been on the Tim Ferriss show, you've been on Joe Rogan, you've been around so many strong, powerful males. You're married to one. Like, how do you hold yourself in that company? Well, listen, I'm not gonna. I, I won't BS. I think there is a notion of one spirit is is the indication of, of strength, right? It isn't a physical package. I think one, one, one's real sense of self. But I, I also feel that coming from growing up on an island and being in sports, I am 6'3", uh, you know, 190. I think there was something about I had choices to make when I was very young. Was I going to take ownership of my space? Which didn't mean I was going to infringe on others, and that, that also meant that there was room in my space for other people, but was I going to take ownership of that space? And I think when I was young, I even doing athletics, I really wanted to just stay out of the way. That doesn't work. You have to take up space. You have a job to do, right? Like you have to cover a certain area. You have to tell your teammates like, no, I protect this space. Mm-hmm. So there was a real lesson in that for me as a large woman, because a lot of times large women want to be smaller. And also in general, women are, are sort of taught well, be nice. Well, you can be nice and strong at the same time. You can create boundaries and be a compassionate person. These are not mutually exclusive, but learning that language, um, it just takes a minute and it takes, you know, you have to get pushed up against a few hundred times to be like, oh no, you can push up against me, but I'll let you know when you've gone too Mm -hmm. far. And so I, I also have found that every real true, true alpha, true alpha that I know, male or female, just alpha spirit actually comes from love. They don't come from, let me show you how tough I am, or I'm going to be first. Mm. The real alphas I know, the real ones are all the most sort of gracious and loving and of service people. Um, And they're not exerting their will on everybody. And so if you pay attention, there's a lot to learn from people around us, all wherever we are, right? That landed always the best to me. Mm-hmm. The males or, or females that were in charge but really wanted to see you succeed or would help you or tell you, give you information to help you, you know, um, progress, 
Hmm. That really reeked of feeling secure. It's when um, someone's like super tough and, you know, always has to win or you, you're, they're not going to help you. When you start to pay attention, you realize they're very afraid. I think the power of kind of knowing how to inhabit your, your space, but also be willing to help those around you, it's a much easier way to go through life. And when you don't have to be right, and when you don't have to always, you know, teach everyone a lesson, it's not your lesson to teach the, the world, life, nature, God, like, they're gonna, they'll be, they'll figure it out. Mm, that's amazing. You know, it's the way it is. Yeah, I love that about not being afraid to take up space as well, like in a physical or, or like a metaphorical way, like own that for yourself. And, you know, talking about alphas, I know you just had Tony Robbins on your podcast that's an intense guy (laughs) you know and he has a really different approach yeah it's like he's gonna just ram through everything and but what's interesting is it still within his approach is a lot of love for people enjoyment of other people's successes Mm. so it's just a different version he's very confident but see Mm. what's interesting is there's a lot of people i talked to after interviewing tony where they really respond to that like, I'm going to tell you how to do it. This is the five ways, you know, like get the fuck up and like get in your face, your fears. And there's so many people that activates. So what you realize is sometimes what other people need to hear may not be our language, but will work for a lot of other people. And my husband and I talk about this a lot about like, hey, don't kill the messenger. What is this person trying to do? Keep focusing on that. And um, because like, for example, Jillian Michaels, she's an American trainer. She was on a show called The Biggest Loser, right? And Jillian Michaels is a very s- compact woman, s- small, and she was never a professional athlete, right? And she's on this show where people are like 600 pounds and 800 pounds. And I used to watch it and be like, oh my gosh, you know, because she's yelling and just, you know, doing all this stuff. And I heard her in an interview say once, you know, listen, these people are almost dead. And it was the way she could get through, right? And I thought, oh, you know what? That's right. I don't understand. And because I don't respond to that doesn't mean that there is not an important place for that type of delivery for a lot of people. Mm. So I think in those cases, it's also understanding we're not all going to be someone's cup of tea. However, if Mm. someone's out there trying to help people find their whys and to be their best, and they do it with a language that you're just like, whoa. What we don't realize is there's a whole big group that's like, oh, I, I heard that. Okay. Mm. I'm a coach, Gabby, and a lot of the stuff that I do is to help people first understand their wiring, neural wiring, narratives, and then help them to channel the ones that are working and, and get rid of the ones that aren't. But so much of that is around our threat response, like we get threatened by different things. So if we are wired or habitually responding to our threat then we're also going to respond when tony robbins shouts in our face because it's 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 the threat response kicking in again but for a positive it's unnecessary like for me but it's been a really valuable lesson to to like hey you know what everybody is really different and so yeah there's there's a really important place for that. Mm, there's a, there's a show over here in the in the UK called SAS Who Dares Wins. They're the special forces guys. I don't know if you're familiar with the series. Seen a little know? bit, yeah. Yeah. So I've I'm friends with some of the they're called the DS, the directing staff who like run 
and lead the show. And I've spoken with and I'm friends with a lot of the people who are the, rec- the recruits as well. And some of them loved it and some of them hated it. And I think the ones who have done quite a lot of work on themselves already and have some awareness and have, and have sort of gone there, hated it. Because I don't like getting shouted at because then it, it's kind of, they've gone through that bit, if that makes sense. I, I do. And, I, and I'll, I'll go one step beyond that. Like, so um, I have a woman and I've talked about her frequently, um, Byron Katie. And she has a program called The Work. Mm. Four questions, like when something's happening, four questions. She had a real crises until her mid-40s. And she was depressed and out of, you know, kind of yelling and just sort of all over the place. She checked herself into a basically like a halfway house because that was like, the only thing her insurance would cover. She lived in a place called Barstow, California, which like people, humans aren't probably supposed to live there. It's, I was supposed, you know, should be cactus and like a couple scorpions. And when she was there, they were like, you know, you're going to have to sleep upstairs. You're freaking out the other people here. And when she woke up, she had like this whole lift of suffering just lifted away. And they, and she literally went home and everyone's like, what's happened? Like they even thought maybe she had a drop in like an angel, something like hmm. people are like, what the hell happened to Katie? And she said, she had these four questions. Is it true? Can I know it to be true for sure? Who am I when I think those thoughts and who would I be without that belief? Right. And so when people have these narratives, it's self-inquiry. And so what's interesting is now my hope would be that I could even go beyond that. I Maybe I graduated certain levels of, mm. quote, work or self-inquiry. And when someone's shouting at me, let's say, that I would even then within that moment have the wherewithal to be like, oh, well, what, what are they trying to do here? And not even respond any longer than to who is delivering, but what is trying to be delivered. And so I feel like if we could actually even move beyond even that and try to keep seeing the essence of things and not be like emotional, like, well, I, I, I mean, it's a good message, but I don't like the way they said it to me. Could I even get past mm. that? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I've seen this a few times. I'm not going to say who, cause it's unfair, but like when you see somebody and they say something and really that's the advice they want to give them to themselves. Mm-hmm. That's like the mit the mirror or, you know, when the shadow arises, it's like, you're saying that and because I know them, I can see that really that's what you just need to tell yourself in this situation. Whereas in the past I would have reacted and been like, fucking hate this person. <laughs> How do we get through things where we don't ever need to go into that fear response where, where it's even like, well, it would have been good, but they were yelling at me. It's like, really? So, and that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like when I look at Katie, she doesn't respond to anything. She's like, oh, that's interesting. Like, you know, people have yelled, you know, they yell at her. They're frustrated mm-hmm. by her. And she's like, oh, okay. I can take a look at that. Even she talks about her grown children and like, there is no more intimate dynamic than your parent and your kids are telling you stuff, right? Because you're not objective you don't want to be criticized because the job is so important to you. And I even see with her, I mean, she's 70, whatever, eight or nine now. And she's like, Oh, I have, you know, we talk about her. I said, do you think your kids would be different if you were raised, if you raised them as you are, who you are today versus she was in her forties. So her youngest kid was 16. And she goes, Oh, uh, my three kids have three different mothers. Mm-hmm. And I just really enjoy getting to know her because well, also what she's saying is, their feeling about who she is. Each of them have a different point of view. And so being defensive, she's like, it's so exciting to get to know her, Hmm. all three of her. And so my hope or one of my goals is to 
is to <laughs> keep looking at new situations with curiosity and not with all my preconceived ideas because I have a lot of them. You know, my brain is a total meaning maker more than other people. I am very much into where does this fit? What is, how is this defined? Where does this live? How do I make this safe, organized? Got it. And now what I'm trying to do is like really take my foot off the gas of the meaning maker and just be like, huh, what's happening here and now? Um, and also to your point, if I'm reacting, it's because it's something mm -hmm. with me. Why am I reacting to this? Why does this strike me? And I'm having such a, you know, intense response to this. Let me, can I take a look at that? So I'm really trying to practice that more. It's hard to do, but it, it certainly gets mm. easier if you put it in play more often. Mm. Mm. I'm really pleased you mentioned parenthood as well. I've got an 18-month-old daughter. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> first time for her on the beach, first time like really enjoying swimming because it was warm. But I had a really nice time this morning walking my dog, listening to your episode uh, with your daughter. It was from like last year or 2020 or something, but it was, it was, it was amazing. So thank you for doing that. It kind of really opened my mind and made me think more about, fuck, it's going to be really yeah. hard to have a teenage daughter or an adult. We had some very big challenges with her, meaning not her. She went through some things that were, we were not prepared to deal with. And, um, you think I can do all these things that I think are the quote right things and um, stuff is still going to happen. And uh, you're going to feel upside down and you're not going to know what's the right place to get help. And what I would say to any person is that's okay. Just keep asking questions and keep trying to get resources. And, and if they feel, if they don't feel good, trust that because you may not have the answers and you might be in very new terrain but you still have your instincts. And so I would say also parents will spend time going like, how could this happen? And why couldn't we avoid this or whatever the thing is? And that's not the point. The point is, is wherever you are at the moment, let's say you have a kid who's like, I'm depressed or I've been engaged in, you know, drug and alcohol use, or if it's, you know, someone, uh, sexually hurt me when I was younger, whatever the thing that gets thrown at us, um, you know, I, like, okay, I'm anxious, whatever it is, is instead of being defensive about that, because it is, it's painful, these, you know, types of things is to just figure out how do I support this person and not spend a lot of time trying to figure out how you could have been better. Because that's what happens, right? We, 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 we want to justify to them, well, I love you and I've been here and how could this happen? That's so not the point. The point is to be like, I mm -hmm. love you and I'm going to help figure out with you how we can make this better. And um, it's, really, it's really uncomfortable. And yet you can get through it so much faster if you just say like, great, we got stuff to learn and um, if I've blown it, I'm going to apologize and I'll deal with that because I, I don't know that there's a, a way to get out unscathed. <laughs> yeah, it's a different type of threat response, isn't it? It's like, I'm doing a bad job. I'm a bad parent if that comes up and then it's your it's your energy and your shit you're bringing to that. But I mean, the, the conversation was was amazing and she was so articulate. So it was, I really recommend people go listen to that. She's definitely one of my teachers. Like when they talk about like, food is like children you raised teacher. Mm. And you, you know, you have a little kid and you think, Oh my God, what is this kid going to teach me except some patience? It's like, you love them so much that it really, you'll say, Oh, I'll, t I'll take a look at that. 
And what I would say to parents is what's really cool about older mm-hmm. children yeah. is I actually believe, because then we're older, is there one of our next opportunities of real growth going into this sort of next chapter of our lives that we can look at life differently instead of same, same all the time is because they're so important to us. Mm. And it's a real opportunity as uncomfortable as it is, is to continue to grow and change, even though we're forties and fifties and sixties and such. And so take it because it, it's actually very good for us. Mm. Yeah. I keep thinking for people who don't have kids, like, cause when you have a kid, it is such a good opportunity for that. And I, I know I said, she's only 18 months, but God, she's forced me to do so much for myself, which is very specific to my childhood and stuff. But it forced me to look at that stuff, which I wasn't prepared to do before. Yeah. And if you're successful, Um, like you help other people, right? And so what's interesting is you're actually more in danger of missing those opportunities hmm. than somebody who's kind of like all zany and all over the place. That's the other thing is it's a real opportunity to kind of open us up. Hmm. Yeah, I agree so much. It's weird. I, f- I feel like a different person, actually. I feel like a different person and not just from a label of saying like a father. Now I feel different. Like even when I get almost flashbacks or like I feel the version of my, uh, that I used to be, it's like, no, I don't want to be there anymore because I was so restricted by my own baggage and things I hadn't looked at. What What was your childhood like? I know you said that you yeah, earlier you mentioned you weren't like super parented, you said. Yeah. And I was sad to read that you, you lost your father in, when you were quite young. Yeah, I. so my parents, you know, they met in probably like 1969, 68. Everything was kind of yeehaw. My mom was from New York. My father's from Trinidad. And they met in California. So by nature, that probably was an indication that they both were a little bit rebellious in a certain way. And um, I don't know that they had a long courtship. And then my mother was pregnant with myself. By the time I was two, they were not together any longer. My mom weirdly was training dolphins in a circus in Mexico City. And so when I was two, I was in Mexico City with her, and uh, she was quite young. Um, and I, my father was in school getting his doctorates, and I got whooping cough. So my mom grew up in Long Island, New York, and, and she thought it was best. I lived with a couple that were her kind of neighborhood friends. You know, they dated in high school, and then he went to Vietnam, and they were still together and uh, they took me in until I was about seven hmm. and um, really different, you know, uh, high school education. He worked as a sanitation worker. She's five feet tall, uh, like completely a different kind of environment, but they treated me like their kid. I was walked to a bus stop. I had my hair put in ponytails and they really loved me like their own child. And, um, And then when my mom um, met my stepfather, who was from Puerto Rico, she sort of was ready to parent. And so she sort of requested my presence. And you can imagine that extraction was not pretty. Hmm. And like I had said, during that time, my father died Hmm. in a plane crash. I've come to a place certainly of understanding that my mom probably really genuinely did the best she could, but she was not particularly on it. And, um, And so I was always kind of scanning the horizon as a kid. For I had always three plans in place on how to make sure I was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And then um, my junior year, she moved me to Florida from the Virgin Islands. Because, you know, sometimes when you grow up on an island, unfortunately, it's like really good when you're little and it can be sort of nowhere when you get a little older. Um, and there's not a ton to do. 
I dibbled and dabbled a little bit in volleyball at that time because I was so tall. Um, but it's when I moved to Florida that I got really involved in sports and uh, I ended up getting a scholarship and, and going from there. So I think I, I felt like I had always very good adults though, like kind of peripheral characters in my world. And that's the thing, if you can rethink about it as any person is you think, Oh, your mom and dad are supposed to, they should, Mm. but just because they don't, or they're not able to, doesn't mean there's not a lot of people around you that are sort of stepping in and stepping up for you. And I, ha- I always had that. I had the couple, my aunt and Uncle Joe, who raised me, who takes a kid, a precocious kid in from two to seven. One of my daughters is more like me. And I thought, this is a kid only a mother could love, you know, like, because I was obnoxious, pushing and questions and very, you know, kind of strong willed. And I, I really had a greater appreciation for them after I, especially my youngest was born because we're very similar and I'm like, whoa. And then I had coaches and other adults, my principal, my senior year, I lived with him and his family for a minute when my mom was deciding if she was going to stay in Florida, but he said, send me so that I could, you know, stay, be in school and play sports. And then my college coach, I always encourage people. I've said this many times, you know, you have low cards and you have high cards, play the high cards because if we just focus on, look at all these twos and threes I have. It's like, yeah, but if you keep scanning, there's a, some aces in there and some kings and like focus on the high cards and that can become in the place of a gift, mm. of a physical trait, of other people, a combination, a talent, because we all have low and high cards and that's the thing. And and um, we could spend our whole lives talking about the low cards. It's like, okay, I've got it. And so, yeah, so I think that that really actually equipped me with some skill sets that have really helped me in my life as an adult. Mm, yeah, it makes sense completely why you became a meaning maker from that. I'm, I'm the same, by the way, big, big meaning maker. It's all got to make sense and add up. So, and, and even with your daughter, you know, listen to that episode now, that kind of makes sense because then the added pressure for you to be the, the perfect mom, perhaps. Yeah, because I see that my mom suffers because we, we weren't able to remedy our, our languages are just so different. And so it's interesting. So what bonds us sometimes is time. Well, she didn't do that at the important mm-hmm. time. So the only, only the next thing was going to be that somehow we could connect as people. And we're so different that we haven't ever, it never really got there. And so I thought, I don't want to look mm-hmm. down the barrel of not having a connection or the opportunity to connect with my children. It's always felt mm-hmm. really important. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So do you think that, cause that sounds, you know, as you're explaining, there was a lot of, I don't know say insecurity, but it was kind of going from different households at times that then sport was your, you said playing your, your high card, but it was also your familiarity and your, the certainty, like you knew the rules within the games, you knew the team structure and everything. Yeah, and it's it's discipline. Discipline always felt mm-hmm. really good to me. Earning it felt valuable. It felt like a currency I understood, like sweat equity, if you will. And then being part of something. It didn't. Not all of my teammates loved me, and I didn't love all of them. But somehow that was sort of like a family, and you were part of something. Mm-hmm. And that was also a place like I could be tall. You know, it's it's it sort of had a lot of different elements, and and having coaches that really looked out for me as a person and taught me valuable lessons there was a lot to that for sure mm. yeah like, and then you you had an incredible career as an athlete and you got your scholarship at florida state which is like one of the, the biggest universities and still have records that stand today got in their hall of fame 
I, I actually went to play soccer and I got a scholarship to play. It's only it's a small like D two college, but they gave me a full ride. So I lived in Ohio for a couple of years and did my masters. So I, oh, wow. I understand the kind of the NCAA life and that it's just so amazing, isn't it? And then you went on to play pro. But when when did you realise that you were really good? And then what did playing volleyball at such a high level give you? I never felt like I was very good, quite frankly. I always I had imposter syndrome quite a lot because I was so late to kind of really doing it that a lot of times I always felt like I was just fudging it, like taking information in and doing physical motion. And also I've said this often when you're not groomed to be successful, it's very confusing when you all of a sudden become like you have opportunity or you're winning or you're being successful. It it always feels like it's someone else's situation happening. So that was something that I wish I had experienced differently because it was, I always had to work harder than everybody to justify to myself any opportunities that I was getting. And in some ways, it, it was less fun, more pressure. And I wish I had grinded it out just with a different attitude instead of I was, you know, so serious. And again, I, I felt like I didn't deserve it. So I better really work hard we don't deserve anything. I should have just received the gift and said, okay, I'm going to do my best. And uh, that was a lesson I learned probably later. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you like from outside in, it's, that's really inspiring to hear. Like, you know, it's always nice when you hear the most successful people, the people you look up to and admire who have imposter syndrome too, like we all do. Cause you went and then had a successful modeling career and then everything you've done with XPT and, and the, the food company as well. Now it's like, does that, do you still have those feelings that you don't deserve it or have you moved past that? I've changed it. And I've, I always say, you know, we all receive grace because there's people who are more talented than me that would be willing to work harder than me and they just are not in the situation. And so it's, it, it would never be the audacity to think, oh, something I've done. So it's not that I, I don't have imposter syndrome. I don't. I still don't think it's something I've done. It's that I'm receiving grace. And that I will then show my appreciation for it by taking care of the opportunity, by working hard, by trying to put something out there that is positive oriented and to take the, pay attention to the lessons. Because if you spend all this time inside going, oh, why is this happening? It's like you're missing the education that you're going to need actually to continue on in your businesses, in your relationships and everything. So I'm just trying to be a good steward and a good student. And um, what happens is, is you prolong then the the time that you get to be in the grace mm-hmm. of the you know like the professional grace. You know, people go, oh, you how do you keep changing and doing all these different things? I'm not. This is an extension of the original opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Which which because like there's so many things you know we mentioned there. In fact, actually, it would be really nice to know like what what a typical or as close to typical week look like for you because i know you've got so many things on so how does your week play out you know my youngest daughter is 14 so my family is is sort of the anchor to the schedule like there's certain things that are happening based on the family okay that's so that's a given Mm -hmm. my self-care and maybe i actually put that in front so my training my eating and it's not like crazy amounts of hours it's just consistent and getting that done so every week that's built in self-care and family is built in. And when people have small children, I will say, be patient because it's harder. The self-care part, it gets easier. They become more independent. 
so I'm, I'm, I'm also saying that with like, it's had different tones over the years and different times. Like, so if the workload is heavier, if Laird Superfood or XBT is being more demanding or the, my podcast, then the self-care might get shortened, but it never is compromised all the way. Like that's the number one. And I have my relationship with my husband. If it's going to thrive and keep growing, I mean, it's been 26 years. It, we have, I have to put the energy into it. And what's great about being with someone like him is he is a squeaky wheel for sure. He is not here to compromise a real relationship. Like he would never tolerate, oh, we have kids and we're phoning it in now. It's like, no, this is a moving and dynamic thing between us. So these are conversations. These, this is intimacy. This is kindness. And like every couple, it gets stretched at different times, but this is an important part of what makes everything have real meaning in my life. So I don't put the things like work so far in front of everything else that really is the thing that I know is sort of the richness is the, is the real meat of my, of, of my real life. My real life is my relationships and it's my relationship with myself. Hmm. And then from there it's, you know, it's meetings, it's interviews, it's, I have a lot of homework to do, as you know, for the podcast. It's driving a kid here and there. It's, you know, it's all part of it. And what I do is I still write things down. And so I have my month in a snapshot right in front of me. So let's say the work is looking very thick for a week or two. I will make sure that I figure out how to stagger that. And I will say that this is a luxury. Like I've been on planes six days a week. I did that like in my 20s and such. So now I'm at a place where I go, okay, how do I want to try to structure that? And a lot of it is making sure that there's some sequence of like work, life, work, life, work, life, work, life, not just work. And listen, there might be weeks where it's like, hey, this is just the way it's happening. So when you interact with your family, make sure to be extra present. And things like that. And if I don't have time to train, then my eating gets tightened up even more and cleaner. So I'm not uh, being punishing myself with not moving and then eating like crap. So it's really always calibrating these things. It sounds quite similar to how you don't necessarily live by that. Here's five tips for achieving positive mindset, or here's six ways to, you know, that kind of structured thing. Again, it's just that, that more open more kind of a wider periphery to life you know just letting things but still being structured but letting things come as they as they do well and what i what i say is that i i look at everything let's say i have a big day or week and i look at everything in a horizontal perspective like a calendar so i'm i have a sense of it and then i flip it and i just let one thing come at me at a time because i can't worry about dinner at 10 in the morning when I have, uh, hmm. if I'm going to interview, do take two podcasts or have a meeting or a board meeting or whatever, or an ingredients meeting, uh, you know, for Laird Superfood and sit there and, you know, talk about ingredients hmm. for real. It's having a sense of things and then being, doing the thing that you're doing at that moment. I am notorious because I am a good planner for responding internally in a stressful way to stuff that's either happening later in the day or the next day or in two days that I'm not even there yet. And so what I've really tried to learn is like, it's not worth it. Like it's all going to get done. Why am I carrying this extra tension 
because I'm, I'm sort of trying to control and will these things, I'm not there yet. And so that has been, a, has been a real exercise for me because I am pretty aware and pretty organized and, uh, that has its place. And then it has its place against you. Hmm. Um, an example will be for people, uh, let's say you have a week and you go, Oh my God, these three nights, this is happening. And then these people are coming over. Inevitably one of those things is someone's canceling, right? Like it's just going to happen. So why would I spend energy responding to something that's going to happen in two days that in a day they're going to, someone's going to cancel or it went from eight people to four people or whatever. It's like, I'll worry about it uh, when it's time to worry about it. And um, that, that's been very helpful. But what I am dogmatic about for sure is taking care of myself. I am, I am, it is the only time I would say that I am ferocious as a mother and as a wife, which is like, all of you are not going to eat me alive and mm. my schedule and my self care schedule. I love you. I will serve you. I will do everything for you. You, you will not infringe in that space to a point where it diminishes because I'm responsible for that. And so um, I always encourage uh, people, but especially women, because that will go out the door quickly to be pretty brutal about that. Mm. What's the priority in your self-care routine? What's, what's the sort of thing that you're spending the most time to look after yourself? Well, my movement routines will also, they bleed into, I sleep better and I make better food choices. Mm. Somehow when I don't move, all of a sudden then I'm going to eat more crap because I'm medicating through food and stress and whatever. So movement. I personally, you know, we have pool training. I really enjoy lifting weights. I understand how good they make me feel. I understand the importance of them. Um, sometimes I will do that to a detriment. So it's like really doing all the small homework to make sure, listen, I'm beat up. Like every athlete that's ever done any sport, people think, oh, it's like, oh no, we're the most beat up of anybody. I already have a fake knee. It's like, I have to also really? do the little things. So I, I try not to just go towards the wall that's familiar to me, but also do these little things to maintain feeling good. But I notice if I do that, cardio will go way down the line. For me, it's like pool training, sauna, lift weights, you know, cardio. Okay. It'll, it finds its place. And then, um, and that always leads to better habits just in general. Mm -hmm. I go to bed earlier. I eat better. I drink more water. It's like that. So I, I make it simple. I, I go like, what do I need to do to set off, trigger this reaction that's positive, a dominoes for everything else? That's great. I really love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a, set up a gym in my garage with a sauna and stuff. So I've got a cold dip outside as well. So, but I'm, I'm like you, you know, most of my stuff is just to keep me pain free now. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's it's uh, it actually makes me train better. It's more like postural and functional training, whereas a lot of it before was ego and trying to just get bigger, bigger muscles and all that fun stuff. Yeah, and I mean, listen, if there's a season like it's summer and you think, oh, I want to whatever, that's fine too. I mean, things can have their cycle, but um, if it's just a go-to because you always have, that's not the real. That wouldn't be the best reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, what's the What's the way it's supporting you and all of the things? And, you know, Laird and I talk about this a lot where it's like, hey, we're just organisms. How do we support the organism to be its best self? Whether it's in response to stress, showing up in relationships, being productive in work, um, feeling good about yourself, you know, moving into your personal life, whatever. It's like, how do you do that? Mm. 
And for you, that is exercise, which then triggers better sleep earlier, bedtime, better eating habits. Yeah. And I'm just a better person because Mm. I'm mad when I don't get to exercise. (laughs) Because I'm like, it's the one thing I know. And something I do all the time that I think is really important is, is just having that sense of like, where am I at? How do I feel today? Do I feel, am I agitated? Is there a relationship that's, you know, a little bumpy that I need to address some things? So I think it's also, and I've learned this a lot from Laird, is I don't let things grow so I don't know the cause of my irritations or anxieties. It's like, okay, why, why am I feeling? I can find the line quickly because I haven't let everything sort of come down on me. So it's like dealing with things all the time and checking in with yourself. And even if it's like with your partner, like, Hey, I, I haven't gotten enough quality time with you. I, I would, I, it feels important to me. Um, or with your kids, like something's going on with that kid and I don't know what it is. I gotta, how am I going to, you know, ask them if, or will they share with me or how can I sort of figure that out? So I think that's another thing that's been really helpful because then you're not, it's not all falling in on you all the time, but you have a sense of, you know, where things are at and what's impacting you and what needs to get handled and such. Yeah. I really like that you said the connections and the relationships first as well. I know you, well, you said yourself first, right? Which is obviously critical. It's the, on the plane, you put your mask on first and then the other, everybody else is. I saw this thing on Instagram yesterday. It was, it said, make the most of the small things because one day they'll be the big things. And it was a heartbreaking picture of, you know, the scene from Up where he sat with his wife, the Up, the Disney film. Yeah. He sat with his wife and then in the next picture, his wife's not there anymore. And he's like, oh, <laughs> brutal. But that's that's it, isn't it? Like the, those, the life is those little moments. Like I had tons of them on the holiday that I just had with my little girl. It's like, they, those are what it's all about, really. Forget that email or other thing. I, in fact, I sat on the plane next to a guy who... I could just tell what it was going to be like. And I don't want to generalize. He could have had a bad day. Who knows what's going on in his life, but sat straight on the, sat straight on the phone and was like, do you have the Wi-Fi code? It was like, we don't have Wi-Fi. It was like a budget airline. You know, we don't have Wi-Fi. It's like, well, can I pay for Wi-Fi? Like it was like fuming that he couldn't send his emails on this flight. And then someone put their bag against his wife's bag and he stood up and was like, don't do that. It's a $2,000 handbag. Like you don't know what you, it's just like, wow. Yeah. Wow. And you just see the you just see the difference in when people get sucked into the wrong the wrong things. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's easy, but it's our jobs to constantly unwind things every day, mm-hmm. so that we can try our best to have some kind of clarity about um, what really feels important and what we want to work hard towards. Um, because when people talk about success, I'm like, what is your definition of success? And the only way you're going to know that is if you're in touch with that, instead of the world leading you by your nose and saying like get more, be more, be first, you know, it's like, okay, good luck. You can be all those things and Mm. still do that in a way that is connected to like yourself and your heart and, you know, everything else. When did that change or or has that always been the way? Because I certainly feel for me in sport, I felt like success was everything and winning was everything. And then it's, it shifted. And I wonder whether that was linked to your time in Kauai. You know, you said that stillness where you kind of forced in there. Like, When did that change for you? I always felt that way. I, okay. I always, because I think I was, I grew up so scared in a way, even though I, you know, I didn't really show it. I, I was always a, you know, kind of sto- stoic kid, which has its own issues. I think I was always really clear about what felt important. And in a way, I, I probably would have been an even better mm-hmm. volleyball player if I had the perspective. I looked at it like this. 
here's a huge opportunity. You can't let your teammates down. The objective is to win. That's the end goal. So work really hard to reach the goal. But that was the premise of my formula. Not, I want to be number one. And that's the most important thing. And when it was like, okay, we're going to work hard. I have to show up for my teammates. If we do the right things and the objective is that we win, that'll be the indication that we've done the right things in our preparation. I never bit that hook. And where I grew up, you know, in the islands, it's like, that was never a real big dialogue. Mm. Like be one, be first, be, it was like people Mm. were just living. And so I think I had a bit of that already. Could I ask you to, this might be difficult, but if you could summarize the learning or the takeaway from each of your sort of standout roles. So Gabby, the volleyball player, Gabby, the model, Gabby, the businesswoman, you know, with Laird Superfoods, and uh, Gabby, the XPT trainer, podcaster, and and mother and, mm-hmm. and wife. Well, I'll just start with um, athlete and that part. I think that the easiest part that I came away with was a lot of it doesn't make sense, right? Like, why would I get to and someone else wouldn't? And maybe, again, I was late to the game and things really fell in line for me. So rather than focusing on, well, why didn't so-and-so get to do it? I would believe as an athlete is take care of the task at hand and pay attention. So if it's not working, what course correct quickly. And the other thing I understood about it as an athlete was it really gives you the capacity to work harder than you probably really want to. And there's real value in that and not running away from that, but moving into that, mm. having a relationship with that discomfort and not resisting it, but being like, oh, okay, here's another opportunity. Uh, you know, I'm married to somebody who is a really good relationship with discomfort naturally. Mm. And it was very interesting for me to, to witness that and to be like, oh, cause we like to label things like, oh, that was hard. Or this is, a, it's like, no, it just was a different environment that was, was for learning. I think as a, as a wife, what I have learned is I show up in service to Laird. I'm here to try to make his life better, but it is totally on me to make myself feel good and feel happy. It's not his job. And sort of the good thing about the relationship I have with Laird is we're not each other's parents. We're each other's partners. And I think there's something really valuable about knowing how to be loving and say, hey, I'll do anything for you and simultaneously having very clear boundaries. And it doesn't mean you're throwing down the boundaries all the time. I don't. I, and plus, I don't need to. My husband is self-regulated. He's taking care of himself. But the point is, is like, there's a way I can say it. So for example, he is a restless person. He wants to be in nature. He wants to ride big waves. If the waves aren't around month after month, he's irritated. And it can be like, oh, believe me, it's a lot. But it's also connected to some really incredible attributes. So one I would say as a partner is try to always connect the attributes. Like if you have somebody that's like super fired up and they, you know, they talk loud and they want to go, it's also the person who's like not sitting on the couch, but like living life and doing stuff. Right. So, cause we always want only the good stuff and not the other stuff that sometimes we're like, Whoa. Mm-hmm. So I would just remind people to quickly draw those lines quickly when it's happening. Be like, yeah, but my guy mm-hmm. does this because of that same trait. It's awesome. Perfect. Whatever. It's also, you can put a hand on someone and go, Hey, you know, like I'm on your side and walk away. 
like people think setting boundaries is like really getting in their grill and being like, let me tell you. It's like, it isn't. Because if they're aware, you don't need to. You can just be like on your side and then split, right? So the other thing I've learned is like how to communicate with the idea of not inflaming the situation, but setting my boundaries. And that is is very, very helpful. But if you think someone else is going to satisfy you and make you feel fulfilled and all these things, whether it's your partner or your children, you're out of your mind. Mm. You know, those books that they read to girls about the white horse and all that, it's totally unfair. And to to show up, to be loving and supportive. And if they're having an upside, sometimes your partner will be more successful than you in the outside world. Support that. Because sometimes we feel like it's taking them away from us and that makes us feel threatened and scared. And so we act out on that instead of, you know what? Awesome. Hmm. Because you're going to have those ebbs and flows. One of you is going to be killing it in the world and the other one is going to be doing something. And it's just the way it goes. And so that's a was a very helpful thing too, because we both have very different times in our careers. And so so support them and, and find out what you want to do, especially girls, right? Like we have kids and then all of a sudden we're sort of in these roles and it's like, no, asking yourself, who are you as an individual person and what do you want to do? So be of service, have boundaries. Mm. And guess what? If you get in, in a few years and your partner's not on the same page, then you have to reevaluate. You will never parent them into the way you want them to be. It's never going to work that way. That's on them to come the way that they want to come and Hmm. show up the way they want to show up. Because the minute we start doing this to each other, I think it's no longer a romantic partnership. It's a, it's another thing. Um, With coaching, I've learned to say less clear and concise, uh, especially like in pool training or what have you. And especially in dealing with men as a female, um, and no alpha female or male wants to be told what to do. They don't. So how do you make one suggestion clearly and drop it off? Hmm. And I, and I used, um, my male coaches and my coach from college who was a female who had a masculine delivery system. So for example, she would say like, Hey, that's not good enough. And it, it wasn't, it's not good enough. It was, Hey, it's not good enough. And there's something to be said for being able to switch gears and attaching nothing to it, but also looking at a person like, all I want is what's best for you. Your success is what's important to me, not me exerting my will over you. That is not coaching. Coaching is keeping order so that we can have success and each person can thrive. It is not about exerting your will on somebody. That is actually not a leader, I don't think. Mm -hmm. So what I've learned is for people to be very clear that they understand by looking in my face I am just here to help you be successful. And now I'm going to tell you, do it again. Right? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it so as a as a female, that took a minute. How do you not? And then they go like this and like that, and you don't get stuck in the discussion, right? Like pool training, for example, people will be like, well, you know, and then the water and the air, and you just go, great. Mm-hmm. And you have it. Mm-hmm. Or you also want to say, you know what? Let's take a second. So for me, coaching was less is more. You should, you know, they always talk about if you should be able to explain everything at a second grade level. If you really understand it, keep it really simple, say less, Hmm. say way less and create environments for people to be successful. It's about elevating them. If you're really being a leader, 
you're just creating an environment to elevate people and for them to be successful, not for you to show how smart you are or how good you are at it or that you're in charge or you're the boss. You are. Doesn't You don't need to do that. And that was very, very helpful. Um, the other thing I've learned in business is, especially, again, as a female, the business is ask questions when you don't know, even if you think you're supposed to, because how would you? I didn't go to a Wharton School of Business. I didn't go to... So the only way I can know is to ask and don't be embarrassed to ask or seek somebody to mentor you, whether, no matter how successful you are, go ask questions and also be willing to drop off uncomfortable information. I think sometimes it's very hard to say, Hey, this isn't working or we've talked about this three or four times. I, I don't think this situation is going to work. This may not be for you. People get mad. They may not even like it you might lose a popularity mm-hmm. contest and, um, and that's okay. Like it, it, it doesn't make you a bad person to have to say tough things. And I feel like men navigate this easier than women. They don't tie their value or their goodness up with having to be tough. I think for females in business, a lot of times it's like either we overcompensate and we're like always dropping the hammer or we're like, is that Okay you know, they'll even start emails with like an apology if they got stuck. Sorry for the delayed response. Or they finished the email with like, I hope that's okay. Mm-hmm. No, this is information. This is work. This is not personal. And really, really learning the orientation in that doesn't mean don't bring heart hmm. and don't bring love into work as you can. But in the end, it's like, Hey, this is not, we're not in the kitchen at our house. Like we we're at work. So we have to be at work. And, and, uh, that was, that was very helpful for me. Um, those, those types of things. And as a parent, uh, finally, I would say, and I learned this from Katie, first of all, your children have their own destiny. And that's really scary because when they're born, everything is possible. It could be a doctor and, you know, a spiritual leader and an Olympic athlete and a scientist and a CEO, and they can be it all. Right. And then what you start to realize is like, Oh wow, they have like other traits and they're sort of like this kind of person. And that's so different than myself or their father or whatever. It's like, uh uh-huh. They have their own journey. And as a parent, that's uncomfortable until you release that your expectation. Right. So that would be one. And Expose them to everything. Be a good model. They're not listening to you. They're really watching you, your every move. And that means a model all the way around. Mm. How you talk to people at the grocery store, how you talk to your partner, how you take care of yourself. Be a good model. And the last two things that I learned that were really important that I did learn from Katie was if you really want to do stuff for your kids, listen to them. Don't fix all their problems. Because we have the answers, right? We know. We're older. We're more experienced. Just, like, listen. And and you could they could be like, my friends did this, or it's a little kid and their, their bunny's ear fell off, and it's not the end of the world. We can stitch the bunny's ear on. No. Just be like, oh, I'm sorry. Because hmm. what you're also teaching them is to communicate to you. And as they get older, like with my teenagers, I ask permission to ask questions. Can I ask you a question? Because if they're sharing, you want them to keep sharing. So how do you not inhibit that flow? Hmm. 
And sometimes you want to ask a question or you want to see if they can arrive at a notion themselves. So you want to spark a conversation, but I still say, can I ask a question? Because they will clearly tell you yes or no. But the important thing is that you keep the door open, that they keep coming to you. I mean, I can't tell you how many steering wheels I've gripped in my car when my daughters will be like, <laughs> and then I'm like, you're just like, holy, sh-, you know, because it's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable. And then make yourself happy as a parent. And I don't mean like every day is bliss. Just try to find the way to kind of be showing up in your life more on the kind of like, I feel good about being alive scale. Because what, what Katie says is like, then they know what it looks like. So ultimately, what do we want for them? Laird said one time, and this really hit me, we were going through a hard time with our oldest daughter, who's an adult now. She was like 19 in college, something's going on. And I'm thinking about like, oh, friends and jobs and all this stuff, right? And he's like, just survive to 25. And sometimes I think we make it so complicated. And it's like, hey, you know what, if they're here and they're safe and they're good, you can work it out. It'll work it out. We'll work it out. Because if you don't have those things, it doesn't matter. And sometimes you're going to go through some stuff that you think if everything could just be sort of normal quote, that would be good enough. So they, they, they feel us, the parent, they feel parents, they feel our vibration. Do we believe in them? Are we doubting what's going on? So that's the final and last thing I would say as a parent is when they're going through chunky times, vibrate, they're going to work it out. They're going to figure it out because they feel that. And then, and the notion of that in which you resist persists, right, is so very true. I asked Katie, I go, well, what about like pick up your socks? Like pick up your socks, pick up your socks. Like how many can you talk about picking up your socks? And she goes, you pick up the socks. You want the socks up. And then it's like, well, well you're not teaching them. And you're not, no, 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 no. And she's like, oh, no, you are. And then you get to enjoy the beauty of the clear floor and your joy emanates through the house. And guess what? Pretty soon, most likely they're going to pick up the socks. And part of it is like, if you want to change your environment, change yourself. And it's so scary to do, but it's true in almost every dynamic. If you want to change your environment, change yourself. And, um, and it's scary and it's hard and it may not always work out how we want, when we want and all those things. But I have found that it seems to be the be- the the kind of more productive way. Thanks, Gabby. It's always special when I feel like I can be a listener and not the host for for a bit. I just kind of could almost just listen. Then it was amazing. That's like outstanding advice, and I can't wait to listen back to it again. Yeah, so much there. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. I give no advice, right? I'm here to share, and I'm here to invite people, and I'm only sharing my perspective. Someone might take this and put their own spin on it. A hundred percent. Because also every house is different. All the dynamics are different. The people are different. Um, I live in a very strong-willed house and nobody's compliant. Really? Not really. And um, we did it a little differently. There was homeschooling. There was other things. So I just want to also remind people that I'm merely sharing, you know, the way it works for us. But I invite them to sort of figure out how it works for them yeah yeah no i appreciate you saying that as well but i think for me i'm i'm a coach as i said but i'm a new dad as well and i run my own business and i was an athlete so a lot of what you said i can really take a lot from that so selfishly appreciate it but i get 100 what you mean each listener will take their own thing from that last question i have for you which was something that I, i read about you a long time ago and i kind of for a long time tried to live by it and forgot 
it parts along the way, but then try to pick it back up again. So it'd just be really great to hear from you in person about it. But your, whether we call it a go first philosophy or go first mindset or practice, I would really love to hear about that. Well, and go first sounds bad, right? Like I'm going first. No, what I, it was funny because it was a very spontaneous answer when uh, Tim asked me, oh, you know, if you could say to people, do try one thing. It was like, just go first, like say hello to people first, be the first one to activate service to anyone, to ask people how they're doing, you know, these things that we're all kind of afraid of, right? And what it does is it just, that's how your life is. So wherever you go, you are having these interactions with people. And it's, it's you know, life, it's, it's so many small things where it's these micro connections with people that you may never see again. Hey, how's your day going? Oh, no, here, you know, do you want me to take your cart? I'm going back up. These are small little things. They're for you. Because ultimately, if you can be reminded that we're all connected, and that people are doing acts of kindness, and there's, there's sort of moments, and uh, it just makes life better. But also, it's I don't know. It just opens us up. And because we are so guarded and fearful and like, well, I don't want to look stupid or what if they don't say something back? Who cares? That practice is, it's really helpful. And I, I enjoy it. And I do, I'm not going to lie. I use my size to my advantage in that way. Because when you, you know, you have a six, three female, that's like, Hey, good morning. I joke that I bully everybody into saying good morning for sure. But but what else is it? You know, it, what else is it but those small interactions, except those are deep and meaningful relationships mm-hmm. with the people that are living on the planet with us. And, um, and also, it taps us back into our own humanity. When you can see somebody so very different than you, what you perceive is so different, and you realize in that moment that you're exactly the same, you're sharing the sunlight, you're there, you're making it. It's like, oh, you know what? We're not separated. We're all together. And um, I think it, it makes you feel hopeful, quite frankly. Um, and, and, you know, finally, the last thing I would encourage people, because you said, you know, you're, you're an athlete and all these things, is also when we can transcend um, these identities that we have, because we all have them, and we need them, but we do. It's like I'm, <clears throat> I'm a 52-year-old woman. I was an athlete. I'm a business person. I'm a wife, all these things. But the other next liberation would be if like we don't think of us as ourselves as anything and we just kind of are doing the best that we can and um, we work in things that we're interested in and we, you know, have these other roles. I think that the ultimate liberation would be in that because then it becomes about our experience, not about how we're perceived to the outside world because that's what kicks our ass. That kicks my ass. It's like, well, how will this be perceived? How will this land? How do I look? How do I... It's like, okay, and that's always going to be part of it. It's unavoidable, but what steps can we do to try to lighten mm. that up a little bit? Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you so much, Gabby. I've, I've really, really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for having me. No, no, it's, honestly, it's been a pleasure. I wish we could have done it in person, but, you know, this, is, this has been great anyway. On Kauai. On Kauai, on Hanalei Bay. Okay. <laughs> so there it is, guys. Thank you so much, Gabby, for joining me and for your incredible advice. Your story is outstanding. 
once again shows that the insecurity or lack of foundation perhaps in our early lives can lead to such resilience, strength and success in later life. But not just that, the habits, routines and philosophies that she lives by allows her to operate in a particular way fairly consistently and do such great things like creating layered superfoods and having a purpose outside of herself, like having XPT and exercise driven performance program which allows people to see a different side of themselves but also in her early years you heard about her life as an athlete and a model and the ways that she feels she rose to that level by stepping outside of her comfort zone again and again and again so i'm so so pleased we managed to get gabby on the podcast as far as i know i'm due to go on her show at some stage in the near future so i will of course share that episode when i go on her podcast on social media and thank you so much again for listening thanks for your support we are coming towards the end of this season now we have about three episodes left i think after this one so thank you again to all of the listeners and thank you to the fantastic sponsors who allow me to continue to create this show and provide these fantastic stories next week we have another guest who is from london and has built a business out of their university room which has led to such a incredible successful business which i'll leave as a surprise so you'll hear all about that next week and then two more fantastic episodes after that before we round off the season big love to everybody thank you again so much i hope you have the best week ahead And in the meantime, stay positive, stay motivated and take flight.